We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. And we welcome persons of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, and any other circumstances you might bring. We extend a special welcome to our visitors this morning. We are very glad you are here. My name is Madi, and I'm going to tell you a story today by author unknown. We don't know who wrote it, but it's called Potatoes, Eggs, and Coffee. Sounds pretty good. Once upon a time, a daughter complained to her father that her life was miserable, and she didn't know how she was going to make it. She was just so tired of fighting and struggling all the time, and it seemed as just as one of her problems was solved, another problem would pop up and be just as hard to figure out. Her father was a chef, and he took her into the kitchen as she was moping and crying about all her problems, and he filled three big pots of water, and he placed each on a high fire, and he let them boil. Once they all began to boil, he placed potatoes in one pot, eggs in the second pot, and coffee beans in the third pot. And he let them sit and boil and sit and boil without saying a word to his daughter. Now she thought he had totally lost his mind. She wondered, what is he doing? Here I am crying and he doesn't even care. So she moaned and impatiently waited, wondering what he was doing. And after 20 minutes, he turned off the stove and he took out the potatoes from the pot and he placed them in a bowl. He pulled out the eggs and he placed them in a bowl. And then he ladled out coffee and placed that in a cup. And he turned to her and he said, Daughter, what do you see? And she says, Dad, I see potatoes, eggs, and coffee. What's the point? And he says, look closer and touch the potatoes. And she did. And she said, well, they've turned soft. And he said, take out an egg and break it and tell me what you find. So she did. She broke it, and underneath the shell was a hard-boiled egg. The egg had gotten hard. Finally, he asked her to sip the coffee. And she said, This is so warm and cozy, and the rich aroma is bringing a smile to my face. She said, But Dad, what does this all mean? How is this going to help me with my problems? Right? And he explained that the potatoes, the eggs, and the coffee, they each faced something that was similar. It was boiling water, but her dad called it adversity. Now, what in the world can that word mean? Anyone have an idea? What is adversity? No one seems to know, so I'll help you out. Adversity is hardship. 
adversity is troubles. So the boiling water presented some troubles for the potatoes, eggs, and coffee, right? So he said they all faced adversity, the boiling water. However, each one reacted differently. The potato went in strong and hard before it hit the boiling water, but in the boiling water, it became soft and weak. And once it cooled off, you could smash it up real easily. The egg went in fragile, all gooey inside with a shell that could break easily. But when you pulled it out, the gooey interior, the gooey inside, became hard. <laughs> and then, when you put the coffee beans in the water, they were unique. After they were exposed to adversity, when they hit trouble, they changed the water and created something entirely new. Which are you, he asked his daughter. When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a potato? Do you get weak and soft? Are you an egg? Do you get all hard? Or are you a coffee bean? In life, things happen around us and things happen to us. But the only thing that truly matters is what's, what's happening within us. How we're reacting and how we bring that change into our communities and into our lives. Like the coffee. Change what hit it. All right. I hope you like the story and I hope you have a great time in your classes. Let's sing you out. We hold close to our hearts, as do you, those who suffer in mind, body, or spirit, near or far, among us, known to us, as well as strangers. In doing so, we realize all the more the simple blessings of our mundane daily lives, and we give thanks for the wondrous generosity of our universe. Remind us, Mother, to give our loved ones extended hugs and to say our I love yous while we endeavor to make our hearts known through the work of our hands. Together, in this sacred community which love creates, bless this sacred silence with gratitude and determination as we lift up those silent burdens and the joys that we've brought in with us today. Today's reading is the story of the Virgin of Guadalupe by Patrice Wynne. Perhaps there is no other religious symbol in any culture that is replicated in as many places and as many ways as the Virgin of Guadalupe. Why do her Mexican people love her so? The answer is found in the story of her apparition, for in her biography is the biology of the Mexican people, the matter and substance of their cultural and spiritual history. It is a cold winter morning in a village outside Mexico City, December 9th, 1531, 
Only ten years after the defeat of the great Aztec nation by the Spanish conquistadores, Tenochtitlan, the once mighty Aztec capital city, has been buried, and on its foundations is being built the Spanish capital city of Mexico. The indigenous myths and dark-skinned deities, which had sustained the people for generations, have gone underground. A new Roman Catholic belief system, taught by white-skinned people, has not yet fully taken root. The people's souls are lost, orphaned by their gods. An Aztec Indian, known by his Christian name, Juan Diego, is on his way to Mass. He approaches the sacred hill of Tepeyacac, where his ancestors until recently had worshipped at the temple of the corn goddess Donansin, whose name means Our Mother. Her temple had been devastated by order of the Catholic bishop Sumaraga. He walks on naked feet and wears a coarse-woven mantle called Athilma, made of moe cactus fibers. Suddenly he hears the melodious sounds of singing birds, rare at this time of year, and sees a lovely brown woman with a halo shining in morning sun rays, dressed in glorious robes, in shades of gold, blue, and rose, speaking to him in his native language, Nawat. She identifies herself as the Blessed Mother Mary and in a tender voice calls him little son, Juanito, and Juan Dieguito, my little dear. She urges him to go to the city and request that the bishop build a shrine to her on the very place of the destroyed goddess temple to express the special love she has for the Indian people. Mustering his courage, Juan Diego visits Bishop Zumaraga, but is dismissed as a dreamer. He returns to the hillside and begs of her. I'm a nobody, a small rope, a tiny ladder, the tail end, a leaf. She offers him these consoling words. Am I not here who is your mother? Are you not under my protection? Am I not your health? Are you not happily within my fold? What else do you wish? Do not grieve nor be disturbed by anything. Three times she appears to him with the same request. Three times he returns to the bishop and begs him for her temple, afraid for his life. Three times he is turned away. When the bishop asks for proof that she is the mother of God, she tells Juan Diego to pick the Castilian roses, impossible to exist in that climate but growing in abundance nearby. Gathering them up in his tilma, he opens his cloak in the presence of the bishop, who drops to his knees, for emblazoned on the Indian's apron is the image of the Virgin exactly as Juan Diego had described her. 
In 13 days, a small chapel is completed in honor of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And two years later, a major church is built on that site. When I was a very young infant, before I would fully focus on faces or follow sounds much, I'm told that I would stare in the direction of a statue that my mother had on her dresser of the Virgin of Guadalupe. No matter where I was in the room, I would try to turn toward that statue. My mother was raised Catholic and still retains a lot of the ritual practice from her Catholicism, although her theology has been Unitarian Universalist for a long time. And I was raised Unitarian Universalist, but this statue remained. And my mom tells me that it was just the weirdest thing and that visitors to our house would often comment on it, saying that I, it looked as if I was trying to communicate with her in some way. I just crane my head to see her. Now, this may be hyperbole, but it makes for a nice story. And part of me likes to believe that I was born with a special affinity for the lady and that she drew my eyes to her in some way, even at that young age, as she continues to draw my heart. And that a child development specialist can't easily explain this story away by science. <laughs> no, I truly don't believe that a statue has superpowers and that she can, a statue can have intercessory abilities and draw a baby's eyes. Nor am I a closet Catholic. In fact, I've been attending UU churches since about age two. But there does exist a subversive yet compassionate power in the story and symbolism of the Virgin of Guadalupe that I believe transcends religion and that surely strengthens my faith. It isn't often that we hear about traditionally Catholic imagery from our Unitarian Universalist pulpit. But as a Chicana from Texas, my cultural connection to her runs deep. Just like each of us, my per personal and cultural history influences my worldview and my theology. But I choose to speak from this perspective today, not because I wish to exoticize my story and my ministry or become a novelty act. I choose to share such cultural experiences because it's my authentic starting point. One of my professors at seminary Dr. James Cohn used to remind us in class that, and I'll refrain from my Cohn impression, we all had one at Union, but <laughs> to do theology, he would say, to do theology, you have to start where you're at. You must speak from your unique vantage point. The symbol and image of the Virgin of Guadalupe has much to offer you use personally of all backgrounds and genders as we struggle to equalize the playing field, seeking justice for the oppressed, and as we strive toward greater compassion in our daily lives personally.
not to mention as we also endeavor to create a more multicultural Unitarian Universalism. But before she can be understood as a universal emblem, the Virgin of Guadalupe must be understood as her Mexican people know her. As we learned in the story of her apparition to Juan Diego, the Virgin appeared, <clears throat> excuse me, she appeared in solidarity with the marginalized indigenous population. She chose Juan Diego, a poor Aztec, to carry her important message. She spoke to him in his language, not the language of the oppressors from which Christianity had been taught to the Indians. She had brown skin. She wore Aztec astrological imagery on her robes. She was one who they could identify with because she looked like them. She was one of them and still remains so. Most importantly, she does not allow the marginalized to feel inferior. She raises the self-worth of the Mexican people with a mother's compassion and offers her protection in their struggle. The Mexican people and those of Mexican descent are a, various, a mix of various indigenous, Spanish, and other European and African people. They speak many native languages in addition to Spanish. And many Mexican-Americans, Chicanos such as myself, speak little, such as myself, or no Spanish at all. Before the legendary apparition of the Virgin of Guadalupe, most Christian conversions had been made at the end of a Spanish steel sword. Mary had the effect of uniting the old with the new. She was a fusion of the indigenous and of the oppressor, much like the blood running through the veins of those she calls her children. She offered a means by which her people could retain their cultural identity with pride and with respect to the need for self-preservation amidst a violent theocracy. This Mary continues to be such a means of synthesis for Mexicans and for those of Mexican descent today. She unifies us as a cultural icon, no matter our language, our religion, dialect, or gender. She is our common mother, our loving ancestor. She is called by many names, among them our Mother of Mexico, Mother of the Americas, Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and as my great-grandmother, the matriarch of our family, called her affectionately, Mi Morenita, my little dark-skinned lady. She remains a symbol of strength for her marginalized people, for after all, even if her story is only a myth, it reminds us that we are worthy of unconditional love. Now in our science-minded culture, we say things like only a myth, as if myths were powerless things. When we know better, we've learned that myths are, in fact, values and ideals in the embryonic stage. 
Religions and nations alike were built on myths. Remember George Washington and the cherry tree. But the story of the Virgin of Guadalupe is a revolutionary myth in that it offers to us a woman, and a woman of color no less, as our champion. Maria de Guadalupe offers us all another way to imagine God. She's a feminine alternative. Many white feminists have historically rejected her image as one that we should embrace, misunderstanding her due to the reality of centuries of misogynistic false interpretations. She's been said to be the reason that so many women, especially Latinas, dislike themselves. She has been lifted up as the ideal of womanhood on the one hand, while women are simultaneously told that her perfection is unattainable. She's been accused of keeping women meek and silently obedient since her eyes are downcast. She's also been misinterpreted as a proponent of joyfully bearing one's suffering, regardless of the hardship it may cause us and those we love. Some school districts have even banned her image on t-shirts, claiming ties to gang violence. Latinas, however, have long known that although for centuries many have tried to pervert the image of Guadalupe in an effort to keep us in a subjugated place, most of us never truly bought it. She is quite the opposite. She is our Rosie the Riveter. Instead of being an ideal of womanhood that is unachievable, we can emulate her willingness to stand up to power and demand that the oppressed be recognized. We view her downcast eyes as a representation of her gentle, loving spirit, and she is not easily silenced. She persistently appeared in the story to Juan Diego three times before the bishop recognized him. Of course, the Catholic love, Catholics love things in three, so... <laughs> She did not accept him backing down and inspired in him the courage to persevere. The Christian Latinas, she's more accessible than a father God or his divine son, Jesus. Dolores Huerta, co-founder with Cesar Chavez of the United Farm Workers Union and heroine of the Chicano Civil Rights Movement and single mother of 11, says, I don't think I could have survived without her. She's a symbol of faith, hope, and leadership. She has been incorporated into everything we do, she said. And if she's not there, you notice her absence right away. Mexicans and Chicanos have carried her image in just about every rally, march, picket, protest, and even battle for centuries. Anywhere there are people of Mexican descent advocating for social justice for their communities, chances are the Virgin of Guadalupe's image will be there as well. In fact, I was not at all shocked when in some of the media coverage of the many nationwide protests of that new-ish, hateful Arizona immigration law, marchers have been carrying her image and statues of her.
No doubt the thought of a compassionate and persevering feminine representation of the divine is bringing strength, continued strength, we hope, to those in fear of this, of what this law's implications may bring or has already brought to their lives and their families and their communities. In her essay, Latinas and Religion, Subordination or State of Grace, Laura M. Padilla reminds us that, or tells us rather, that the Virgin's model, <coughs> the Virgin's model allows us to discard the notion that we must accept our suffering with dignity, thus freeing us to turn our attention on how to alleviate that suffering, regardless of whether it consists of physical, emotional, economic, or spiritual abuse. She goes on, she also turns from a top-down hierarchy where God speaks and we listen to a model where we, where we mutually communicate with compassion and shows Latinas how to incorporate our spirituality into our lives in a holistic way that is not based on hierarchy, oppression, intolerance, or superiority. Rather, she points us to a framework that incorporates the feminine, not to the exclusion of the masculine, but in balance with it. In the story, after all, she chose to appear before a man, Juan Diego, demonstrating that although she is divinely feminine, she exists for men as well. Men can also be mothered by and guided by her while also learning to emulate her maternal attributes of tender nurturance, yet strong advocacy for one's family. For Guadalupe, this family does not begin and end with bloodlines. Our family is made up of humanity itself, for we all are, in fact, interconnected. The marginalized and the oppressor are both of her concern as she reaches for the heart of the wealthy bishop through the experience of the impoverished Juan Diego. Men may follow the example of her symbolism not only as sons, husbands, and fathers, and brothers of women, but also as members of this human family who recognize that ignoring the suffering of others prohibits the privileged from realizing and recognizing their full humanity. In this way, the Virgin of Guadalupe has relevance and meaning not only for all genders, but I would argue all people. In the way that the image and symbolism of the Virgin of Guadalupe transcends religion, language, gender, and national borders, she also transcends race. Just as she unites the di diverse people of Mexican descent in a common cultural identity, so may she unite the world in a common cause of justice, of working to end all forms of oppression. Although she will always be the treasured product of the Mexican people, the strength of her symbolism has the potential to reach anyone looking for a loving, yet righteously angry, gentle yet fierce, and patient yet persistent ally in the struggle. As you use so often we began our prayers to God of many names. In the Virgin of Guadalupe, 
we recognize that one name for God is Mother. A feminine divine does exist in many traditions. Hindus have Kali, Lakshmi, and others. Buddhists have Tara and Kuan Yin. Pagans may call her Gaia or Great Mother, just to name a few. The Virgin of Guadalupe is the manifestation of the feminine divine for this continent. She is our native goddess, mother of the Americas, and offers the world her love, encouragement, and protection, both to those who view her as a powerful symbol, as well as to those who view her as a supernatural being with intercessory abilities. The next time you see a candle, a keychain, a mural, or anything else that her ever-so-pervasive image adorns, see, for who, see her for who she is for her people and who she can be for all, a powerful symbol of compassion, fortitude, and justice. Not a cultural cliché or tacky kitsch, but a reminder that we shall overcome, that si se puede, yes, it can be done. For she is, Mary, Mary, quite revolutionary. Embraced, empowered, and emboldened, by a maternal spirit of the divine, go in peace to transform this world. Amen. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.